Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 71. Speak and Destroy is a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Armored Saint and Faith's Warning bassist, Joey Vera, who discusses the band's long career and the group's history with Metallica. This is the third in a trio, trinity, trilogy, of Armored Saint-related episodes, which began with Armored Saint, the movie director, Russell Charrington, continued with episode 70 featuring John Bush of both Armored Saint and formerly of Anthrax, and concludes here with episode 71 with Joey. This was a killer conversation, and we really kind of get into the weeds about the music business in general and some of the realities that confront us as we try to do this stuff for a living long term. Remember, the best way you can support the podcast right now is to go into Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review, like this one, which comes to us from SDP Yak. Entertaining and informative. Very good podcast. Thanks, SDP Yak. I like the wide range of guests and some of their backstories relating to both Metallica and the metal music scene. I've learned a lot, and I haven't even listened to all the shows yet. Keep up the good work. Well, SDP Yak, I think this episode in particular fits very nicely into that description you have so thoughtfully provided. You can also support Speaking and Destroy on Patreon. Speaking and Destroy Patreons are treated to bonus episodes culled from my interview archive, including a 2015 interview with Glenn Danzig and a 2016 interview with none other than Kirk Hammett. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. You can find Speaking Destroy at speakingdestroy.com and on all the various different social medias. And you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. So here it is, my conversation with Joey Vera of Armored Saint. This is Speak and Destroy. Yeah, I just spoke with Russell Charrington recently. Oh, okay. And just yesterday, I talked to the wonderful John Bush. And yeah. a recurring theme in the story of Armored Saint is brotherhood. You know, lots of bands go through lineup changes, and every band has ups and downs. But in, you know, Armored Saint, like, the quote-unquote new guy has been in the band for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to what do you attribute that? that perseverance and that commitment that has allowed this band to survive and maintain where lots of bands tend to fall away and disappear? Well, uh, you know, I guess I always preface this by saying it's not easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um, I think that probably I get asked this a lot and I'm not, not exactly sure what it is but i mean we, we've had a long lineage uh i'm sure john explained to you before that um 
the majority of us have known each other a long time since we were in grade school. Yeah. We do have that that's there and that makes it easier, but it also makes it harder because it's like family, you know, so you have that aspect to deal with and that's always hard. But I guess the thing with the band is that I think that we've all been able to have respect for the name and the, and the band, just the, the, the armored saint brand, if you would, or just, just, just what it is. And I think that having that respect for that allows us to kind of step outside a lot of times when things get personal and uh, difficult, shall we say. Yeah. But that's part of it. You know, I think that's probably the biggest part of it is that we're able to have, um, you know, this, this objective view of it. And we know that the sum is greater than the parts. So that's been the that's been the main thing. Now, Armored Saint has had different managers over the years, uh, but essentially, you know, my understanding, you're more or less the manager or the the band boss, as I like to say, in, in different band configurations. Um, yeah. What would you say are the advantages and maybe the disadvantages of taking on that role uh, within within the band? <laughs> well. The stress level is much, much higher. <laughs> um, there's a lot of weight that's get put on me. Um, I mean, so the disadvantages are all those things. The there are so much more is at stake uh, for me personally. You know, um, the everything about it. You know, the the bottom line financially, the bottom line for things happening with regards to other business decisions or travel plans or whatever, all those things are things that I do. And when something goes wrong, it's, it's all my fault, you know? So mm -hmm. I got in front of all that stuff, you know? I mean, so that maybe that goes without saying, but you, but that's, that's certainly something that's a negative for sure. Um, you're like, hey, could I have that management fifteen percent in addition to my share? Thank you. <laughs> well, there here comes the here comes the plus side of it is that you know, the plus side, mostly for everyone else, but even myself included, you know, um, we don't have anybody taking their percentage off the top of what we do. Right. Um, certainly, pay myself a measly fee for extra work that I do. But it's really nothing what I should be getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and John busts my balls all the time. He's really good about saying, dude, you got to pay yourself more money, you know? And I'm like, it's cool, man, you know, <laughs> Do it for the love of the band, you know, and I want to see everybody make more money and that kind of stuff, you know? So those things are, are the benefit. And also keeping keeping a lot of things in house are a benefit as far as yes. the go, you know, how we make decisions about how people perceive us and also uh, certain business decisions are made mostly between myself and John, you know, and I bounce everything off of him and, you know, that keeps a lot of things in house as well. So, um, you know, and retaining a certain amount of control of over those things, you know, yeah. what we do musically, what we do professionally and, and uh, business de business decision wise, those things we have control over. And so, 
when things go wrong, we only have ourselves to blame for that. But um, still, it's a good thing to have uh, at this point, especially where we are in our career. Now, mind you, do I get tired of this situation? Yeah, I do. It's very hard. It's very taxing on me and emotionally and psychologically. And, you know, it affects other people in my life, like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, so... Um, but, you know, uh, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment, and John will tell you also that I'm a little bit of a control freak, and I've admitted to that. But, you know, I really I really take to heart what we've done as a band, and I try to respect it. It's not all about me. It's about, it's about Armored Saint. Yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, speaking as someone who also works as a manager, um, that really managers are there in my mind for some administrative things to kind of take off your plate so you have more room to do other stuff and then in the best circumstances for some creative things to have that extra ears and eyes of you know fifth or sixth member in the band unfortunately in my experience it's very rare that those are the way that it actually works it seems that a lot of managers much like record labels once upon a time are more about you know having the action figure collection or the baseball card collection where you go to their website and go look at all these cool bands and hmm. uh you know a lot of decisions that involve pragmatic things are a lot more difficult for someone to you know have the proper amount of empathy even for what a band goes through on the road when they're sitting at a desk somewhere and they're more or less you know funneling emails back and forth for you so I, yeah, I definitely see a lot of the strengths and weaknesses of it, particularly with developing bands. I I usually tell bands, you know, bands that have hit me up even about managing them that are earlier in their career, like, hey, you don't need a manager, you know. Okay. Like, wait till you get to the point that it's too much to do and it's too overwhelming and you need some help. But yeah, you know, this idea that every every baby metal band that comes along has a manager and an agent and a merch store and uh, you know, a publishing yeah. deal and all this stuff before they've even really been on the road. It's overkill. You know, it's, you don't need all these people. Like, you know, you can yeah. de develop your identity and get your organization, your business yeah. set up. And, and then when it's time to, you know, have partners, yeah. but anyway, I didn't mean to go on this tangent. I just, no, I, I, I enjoy talking to band boss type of people within bands. Yeah, um, and you're right. You're 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 really right. And and even us, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that we're a baby band, but we're not. We're also not. We're not headlining arenas. We're not headlining even large theaters, or you know. Yeah. So even at our level, we kind of don't really need a manager still. But it's not not to say that I don't want a manager because sometimes I could really use the help of having somebody other than other guys in the band, like sure. somebody else. Like, can you just help me deal with this? You know. We got this run coming up, and there's a lot of not of uh, moving parts, and I'm just yeah. so like I'm tired of it, kind of, you know. But you know, it's like it's that's why I kind of take these jobs on. There, we our, our tours are usually pretty short. I'm okay with booking ten flights, and I'm okay with booking hotels for ten people for a short amount of time, and dealing with a bus company and whatever yeah. it is. I'm okay with those things. But like you said, if it got to a point where it was like more of that, more frequently and, mm -hmm. and larger things to deal with, then, then I would be like, okay, I, I <laughs> washing my hands now. Yeah. And, oh. 
and and oftentimes I think uh, established bands like the Saint, you know, sometimes there's a benefit in bringing someone new in to do some cleanup if there are, you know, revenue around the world that's sitting in the pipeline that's just a matter of somebody going and finding it for you or, you know, a bunch of old deals and yeah. old merch companies and things like that. But I think, again, in, in your case, the band has been so consistent and, you know, the relationship with Metal Blade is obviously very strong. Yeah, uh, there's probably not. Yeah, you don't have a lot of those needs, and it's like, well, why? You know, good money after yeah. bad, or, or as the saying goes, you know, exactly. Money, it's you know, if if you can't, my, my my advice to bands is always if you can't justify, if you don't see that ten, fifteen percent, if that person isn't helping you generate more than what you're paying them, you know, because if if they're if they're you know. If you got ten dollars and somebody brings in another five, sure they can have some of that. But uh, you know you don't need to pay somebody out of your ten dollars to just have less than you started with. No, no. that's always the exactly. you know, and, and and the managers who can't demonstrate that for it and think that they should do what they do just because I don't I don't you know not to not to slam anybody, but I don't think those are people that you really want in your life because it also comes down to like people you're talking to every day. Like, yeah. well, how do you spend your time? Yeah. You know, exactly. So, exactly. yeah, and so making this film with Russell and doing this, this you know, long view arc of the story of Armored Saint, what would you say was maybe the most difficult part of that process for you? You know, maybe in terms of, uh, obviously there's some painful memories, you know, having lost someone that was in the band. Uh, I'm sure that comes to mind immediately, but was there anything that was particularly hard about the process of, you know, doing a, doing a this is your life type experience with somebody well uh not particularly uh not yet anyway because we haven't seen any final like i think it hasn't I mean, we, we haven't gone through the worst part yet and that's like <laughs> viewing the whole movie yet yeah yeah <laughs> that's gonna be the hard part um when i when russell first came to me about the idea um i was a little reluctant because um it was almost as if he wanted to, he wanted us to make the movie. And so I straight away told him, I think this is a cool idea. However, I don't want to micromanage, you know, going back to my control freakism. Um, and I could easily do that. I don't want to micromanage you on this. I don't want this to be my version of what the movie should be about. I would think this should be your story. What's your take on it? And, you know, we'll gladly and we have uh, be involved in terms of we gave him all interviews. We also gave him some connections to people he could talk to that I, that he thought might benefit the movie. Um, we gave him tons of, of uh, media, old videos, old photos, all that kind of stuff. But when it's coming time to like um, present the movie and sort of get the, the director, the direction part of it. Yeah. Before I was trying, I'm at arm's length with it. I'm like, you know, I part of me like part of me wants to wants to micromanage it because it, after all, it is us. You know? mm -hmm. But the other part of me, I I don't want to be that person on this. You know, I don't. I'm yeah. not a filmmaker. I'm I have other talents, and this is not one of them. And so, and not only that, but I, I feel sort. I feel a little bit embarrassed, to be honest with you, about putting out a movie about ourselves. Um, so that's why I'm trying to keep my arm's length with it. It's like, 
I don't want people to misconstrue this as we're not making a movie about ourselves. Someone else is making a movie about right. us. Right. Yeah. And he also has that perspective as a fan and as a friend that yeah. he can, the movie can be through his lens, you know, no pun intended, of, of the way he experiences the band and the band's yeah. art and what the band has meant to him, yeah. even if it's not like a first person, you know, Michael Moore style, like, but even just, ha yeah, having it filtered through his perception of Armored Saint versus yours. Yeah. Because there's the argument that there's there's no better person to tell the story than the subject of the documentary, but those are always going to be biased in some way. Not even to yeah. say that, you know, that there's like skeletons in the closet or anything, but but yeah, there there should be a certain level of detachment so it doesn't just feel like vanity. Exactly. You know, That's the thing that. I'm worried about most is I don't want it to look like we're just, here we are blowing smoke up our own asses. You <laughs> right. know? That's the last thing I want. So, uh, you know, up until now, it's been really kind of cool and fun and interesting doing uh, interviews with him. And I, I have a feeling I haven't seen, I haven't seen very much footage, mind you. I've only seen the trailer that everyone else has and maybe one other small trailer, but it's, I think it's going to be interesting for fans to see the different pers perspectives, even of the band members, right. about themselves. Right, right. <laughs> um, because, you know, we're, we're a brotherhood. We've been up through thick and thin. We've been through so much together. Um, talking about the day Pritchard losing him was, was a, probably the hardest thing to talk about. But, you know, we're at this point, we've accepted it and lived with it. But... The interesting part now is that we all see our band a little differently, mm -hmm. and, um, but I think that's kind of cool. I think that's Absolutely. a little, and that, a little and, that, and, that, and that's chemistry, right? That's because it's yeah. the way that those things integrate and, and interact with one another. Those different viewpoints and, and approaches to the band that make a band. You know, yeah. aside from the, you know, there's some bands that are glorified solo projects, and a lot of bands have. You know, I, my perception as a fan of Armored Saint is that you have Joey and John the same way that you might have James and Lars or Lennon and McCartney or Page and Plant. Um, but that's not to all of those great bands. It doesn't discount the other people in it. But just the way that it, you know, all the people work together and the different approach that they have, I think that's what makes a band yeah. a band. You know? Yeah, and we, that, that our situation's um, a little unique in the way that, that, um, this this dichotomy this not the dichotomy but the relationship that john and i have sort of taken over as far as um leading the group if you will is a relatively new one uh we weren't it wasn't always like that you know this is something that was sort of evolving and it sort of eventually came to uh, a head at the time we were making symbol of salvation in 1991 and so that's when it sort of started. And since then, we've evolved into where we are now. So that's even that even that's a little unique. And most bands really start out one way. I, yeah. I think that uh, in, the, in the story of James and Lars, as an example, they pretty much from day one were, um, whether they knew it or not, uh, were were the ones that were the, the, the real kind of creative nucleus mm -hmm. in that band. A Gene and Paul kind of, you know, there's, I can't yeah. remember if it's Gene or Paul, but one of them has a quote about uh, a band is like a car and you have two guys in the front seat and two in the back. <laughs> Probably Gene. It sounds like a Gene thing to say, That's but, uh, but yeah, there's certainly a certain truth to that. And I can say as someone who, 
works as a manager and has a lot of friends who are producers and has known a lot of people in bands. I, and, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think, generally speaking, bands function very well as democracies. I think that it, it, to have different people doing different roles, it's like different parts of the body, right? Like your hand has a different job than your foot. And uh, I, I've seen bands that go out of their way to operate as a democracy. And it seems like uh, they don't get as far. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's too we, much indecision. Yeah. Know? We started out that way, mostly out of sort of naivety and, and just ignorance, really. We were 19, what, you know. But um, we started out that way, and for the first, I would say, easily the first eight years of our entire, the whole career, we were signed to Chrysalis, even three records, major label, major management, all that stuff. We, we, were, we were still like five reluctant leaders. Mm -hmm. None of us wanted to be the leader at one time, but then everyone wanted to be the leader at the same time. It was never one or the other, yeah. and it just created this constant inertia yeah. and it was terrible it was i hated working that way i didn't know how else it was supposed to be because mm -hmm. we were learning and figuring it out but it was it was not a i didn't think it was very a, a very pragmatic way to go about anything yeah i always say when everyone's in charge no one's in charge it's something i've run into in different businesses you know there was a magazine yeah. that i did a lot of work for yeah and the people at the top wanted to be everyone's friend. And so you ended up with, you know, a dozen editors who all thought they were running the show because it was like, <laughs> no one's in charge. So everyone's in charge and everyone's yeah. in charge. So no one's in charge. And yeah, that's a recipe for chaos right there. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so given that this is a Metallica podcast and the idea is that all of the guests are associated or adjacent or, or influenced by or influences on, you know, everyone from, I've had guys from Diamond Head and Anthony Nowhere lead on. And then, you know, yeah. um, people, there's a lot of people on that list, <laughs> a lot of people on that list. And then, yeah, I just talked to uh, Johnny, the bass player from Avenged Sevenfold yesterday. I talked to John, the singer of Armored Saint, I think also yesterday. I've been busy, but uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you from your perspective, um, what do you remember about hearing of those guys and meeting those guys for the first time? Well, let's see. I I actually I missed their their first show. I wasn't at the show where they played with Saxon, and that's the big um, that was a big introduction for a lot of people here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe John saw that show. I don't know if he talked about that or not. But no, I should ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I did miss that. I, you know, it's, it's this is a tough thing to remember when. I first met them. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I have a feeling that they were, it might've been through Brian Slagle. It had to have been through Brian and through the metal massacre, uh, compilation mm -hmm. circle. Um, and, uh, I remember that I saw cliff in trauma mm -hmm. at the troubadour. So that had to have been before he, got them to move up north. Um, I'm trying to get things. Yeah. In and you know, and I know Brian talks about that in his book, actually about trauma playing at the Troubadour and about yeah. James and Lars being at the show. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I have a feeling that at that point I, I had to have already known them. Um, but I don't remember, I don't actually recall seeing them with Ron. 
So I, I'm almost, it's a, a terrible thing, but I probably didn't see them until they were already up in the Bay Area. Um, but um, I, I don't know. I think that there was always a connection between, uh, especially Lars. He was the first one that was sort of very, he's always been very gregarious and outgoing. Mm-hmm. As you know, That's one of my I, favorite words, by the way. Is <laughs> it's it just a total random side note, and it's funny because it's about another drummer. But uh, I did a cover story on a band, uh, the band Falling in Reverse, a, a few years ago, and yeah. I described their drummer at the time, Ryan Seaman, as gregarious. And when the magazine came out, um, he texted me upset. <laughs> like what do you want? And I had to explain to him that it's it's a compliment and what the word means. And not to say he's dumb by any means; he's a very smart guy. But but he took it like it was you know he didn't know what the word meant and he thought I was taking some kind of dig. And I'm like, no man, you're funny. you're outgoing and friendly. Everybody likes you. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, go, go continue. So yeah, Lars, but yeah, famously so gregarious I, drummer. I think that uh, that was part of uh, the connection right away was that Lars was very forthcoming and very friendly. That's not to say that uh, James wasn't, but James was in the early days, and he'll probably tell you the same thing. He was very shy, and maybe he still is to some degree. Um, but uh, so Lars was the one that we became close friends with. He really identified with us, and we identified with them uh, in the in the beginning. Um, we kind of, you know, hit it off as friends first, um, which is cool. So it wasn't like some kind of a we didn't meet in a business sense. I think it was more like we had things in common with them just in terms of the music that we liked and the, the bands we were listening to at the time, of course, new ever British heavy metal bands across the board. Um, so, and also the connection with Brian, I think that was probably also key to it. Um, John, uh, maybe John Cornerans too in that mix. Um, and, uh, John Sutherland, those, those three guys kind of in that LA scene and, and Lars was part of that little group there in L.A. And I'm almost certain that it was through that. Um, and once we began, you know, once we began playing and they began playing, they were already up north. We played, we went up and played with them a few times. Even, uh, I think it was right when Kill em All was coming out. So I think they were already done with New York and did that whole thing and came back. Um, but we did a few of the very early shows with them in San Francisco and uh, it was just a, a total blast. You know, it was so much fun. We, we, our bond started to get even tighter then. And then of course, a little later, we did the the tour with the them on um, 84 when Wasp, when, after they did uh, Ride the Lightning. And that was, that was a whole nother hang session. And that was great. Well, I love what you pointed out that the relationship began very organically as friends and people that had common interests. Because yeah. as we both know, having worked in the music industry for a minute, a lot of relationships are very transactional. A lot of yeah. friendships begin because it's, uh, what can you do for me? And yeah. what can I maybe trade you in return? Yeah. Uh, it's all, it's often unspoken, but it seems like it's there a lot. And totally, there's a purity of those relationships that start uh, more authentically. And I think it's also borne out in how long that relationship has persisted. The fact that Metallica and Armored Saiyan are still associated together and still friendly and still, you know, I think it's because it started in some yeah. pure that it persists. Yeah, too. And I think, I think maybe that played, played part of why they invited us to their, their anniversary mm-hmm. shows up in, in San Francisco. And that, I think that's, yeah, 
that's I mean they have no reason really to invite us up other than maybe what you just explained that we were they remembered their first part some of their first friends and they wanted to celebrate with some people that they had a common ground with in the early days and mm -hmm. and it was honored that they remembered us and invited us so we were like it was so it was so it was so awesome I might have ratted out the band uh, in speaking with John because I had uh, Brian Tatler from Diamondhead on the show and I had Animal from Anti Nowhere League on and both of them told me about how when they checked into their rooms when they were up for the anniversary shows, they each had a gift basket and it had an iPad in it. And the, the iPad had the lyrics to uh, whatever songs they were doing. And uh, so I asked John, did you get an iPad? And he said, no, not that he remembers. Yeah, I don't remember. He has to ask his wife. Yeah, so... Maybe it was just those two guys. I just assumed after both of them told me that that everyone got one. But... <laughs> hey, we didn't get our our, our bag. <laughs> I was gonna say you might you might want to hit them up. <laughs> hey, where's, where's my iPad? Well, that, knowing us, it was so chaotic that night, and we we just we had it, and somebody left it back. Who That's knows? totally possible, right? No, us. You never even saw it that it was there, but you just never even right locked eyes on it. That was a fun night, though. Yeah, and it's so cool as a fan to to watch those. It's funny. I actually remember I couldn't go. Um, I had some family stuff going on, but I remember the first night of it getting a text from Brian's label that said, "Where are you?" And I knew what he meant, and I knew where he was. You know, because he knows what a huge fan I am, and um, he was shocked that I wasn't there, which uh, <laughs> speaks to, speaks to my fandom, I suppose. It's funny. Uh, um, so yeah, talking about that that wasp armored saint tour you know and i mentioned this to john also i grew up in indianapolis and that was the first time that i had heard of armored saint or metallica was when that tour came through town the place called the sherwood theater and just hearing about that show after the fact from a lot of people i knew it, it, it became one of those legendary uh almost like you know for our town almost like Metallica opening for Saxon at the Troubadour or whatever, you know, or whatever, like yeah. something that as you were a teenage metalhead, you would hear about the legend of yeah. the Wasp yeah. and St. Metallica show. Yeah. I get uh, that a lot from a lot of people hmm. all across the nation. They, they say the same thing, you know, and I think that at the time, maybe you don't realize how cool it's going to be in like 20 years or something. Yeah. It yeah. just seemed like it's just, it should be that way, you know, like, of course, it's Wasp and Metallica and Armored Saint, and and it's just a metal show, and and I love metal, and it's kind of a new thing at this point, and yeah. of course I'm going, and a lot of people that went, they remember that, and they they look back with, with fondness, and so do we. Um, it was, uh, like I said, even we even we felt that way. We were kind of like, hey, isn't this is just rad? You know, I I, I probably wish I remembered more of it <laughs> because it was so such an important time you know but at that moment you know you're not sitting there doing selfies with your cell phone right just in the moment and the moment the moments are going by like like a like light speed um but it was it was a really really cool time it was it was fun we hung out all the time we, of course we got along much closer with the metallica guys at that point we were sharing management um so we had even more of a connection with them but Wasp were a little bit older than us, even the Metallica guys, so we didn't really associate much with them. They were nice enough to us, but it was more of a 
separation thing. Yeah, they're the headliner. Um, you guys are the opening bands, kind of. Yeah, yeah, even though like towards some of the when it's when the tour got further west, Metallica started swapping with them, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know, uh, so there was a few nights where Metallica closed, but uh, the nights that they had to follow Metallica, like I felt so bad for them because <laughs> they were just destroying the place, and you know. But it was this a legendary time, you know. It was really, really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think of it as a, as we're talking about it. It reminds me of like a Johnny Appleseed kind of thing with that tour, <laughs> going around planting all these you know little metal trees totally. in all our little towns. That, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And and you know, there's there were some great there were some great shows on that run, and uh, you know, I don't know. I think it set it would obviously set a lot of things up for them, you know, and they they benefit from that those seed droppings <laughs> a lot yeah. um it was great it was a really good time and they're such a great example of of the big wave lifting all ships i mean i think if there's any number one main lesson from metallica other than doing what you want on your own terms it's yeah uh paying it forward to your friends you know the way that yeah. they the openers they bring out the cover songs they do it's yeah. funny i thought about this after i spoke to john but um man they could really cover an armored saint song <laughs> that would be a nice that'd be a nice uh, check for you to get every quarter right <laughs> uh, that's fun i never thought about that yeah that'd be nice i mean you know i i think james would like to sing some john bush mm-hmm. i think he would for sure <laughs> um and of course that leads me to and i know you've talked about it before but this is the place to talk about it uh <laughs> as a longtime marvel comics fan you know i i uh it's fun to imagine the what if universe with John Bush singing for Metallica and Joey Vera playing bass. But have, having said that, I'm very happy to live in this universe where we have James Hetfield singing on all those records. We got to know Jason Newstead and Robert, and we got Sound of White Noise, which, and I said this to John, and that I, I'm on record in print and on other podcasts <laughs> as saying, so I wasn't just saying it, that Sound of White Noise is my favorite Anthrax album, um, bar none, and I love awesome. Come For You All. Um, you know, it's no disrespect to anyone else who's been in the band, but I, I, John on vocals, Rob Caggiano on lead guitar. That was like a really special lineup for that band. Um, and of course we wouldn't have symbol of salvation record you mentioned, mentioned, and we wouldn't have punching the sky. So understanding that everything happens for a reason, you know, (laughs) that's why it's fun to think of it as a, what if scenario, but it's just a, what if scenario, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been asked uh, I asked that a lot. Been asked that a lot, and I've and I've I've asked answered it in that what if area too. I mean, I've, of course, I preface it with you know what you just said. Yeah, uh, life is so grand and has been amazing for me. I have no regrets about anything. There's so much richness I've taken from life, or mm-hmm. that life has given me or brought to me, that I would never swap it for anything in the world. So. Having said that, you know, um, you know, people have asked me, well, try to imagine, you know, what it would have been like. And I do. And I say, well, I, I, OK, I mean, I, I, I didn't do it at the time, but I get a, being asked this question over the years. You know, I'm human. Of course, sure. I'm going to put on this uh, Marvel comic thing and, and try <laughs> to imagine it, you know. Yeah. And I just think that I, I think part of my makeup is that, you know, I'm I'm very much attached to and I have this strong desire to be this person that I am which is you know a person who has turned out to be a bit of a control freak 
and a very I've I've had I've got a lot out of expressing myself creatively, mm-hmm. and you know I don't know that that role would have fit in to where the, in the reality world of Metallica is yeah. now. If we're going to talk about an alternate universe of Metallica, mm-hmm. I suppose anything's possible, right? Yeah, but when but now that you mention it, to think about it, it's very kind of parallel to you had Flotsam on Metal Blade, and you had Jason who was writing lyrics, writing music. He was kind yeah. of the band boss, the communicator. And for yeah. all of the amazing things they did, and as much as I really, really love and respect Jason's contributions to the band, clearly what led to his exit was not having that creative so yeah i hadn't even thought about that until you mentioned it but i mean and certainly with dave mustaine there's a parallel where for all of his misgivings about being let go from the band i would hate to live in a world without those megadeth records i mean that's yeah. insane and clearly yeah. there was too much happening to contain within that band you know yeah. there was yeah. too much that guy yeah. had too much else to to do sure. you know to be and, and, in a band he, like that. and subconsciously he knew that that early on he probably didn't really realize it until a few years after that but at the time he knew that there was some friction and that's probably what the reason was you know so and i do agree with you that that is probably led to why jason eventually just is not there anymore and that's part of it jason's clearly a very creative um person he's a lot of arts just not only musically but he's mm-hmm. also an artist and painter so he's got totally. he's got this in him you know so i i you know i think that i would have gone that same route yeah know? yeah um and someone would say to me yeah well, well okay what if you did then at least you would be well off or wealthier than you are now and and i say well that's that might be true but would that would that bring me happiness in the end? I, I, I don't think it would. I think that at some point I would just wouldn't be happy. And so those are funny things to ponder, you know, like, yeah. would, you, would you make a choice in your life where at some point you have a feeling that you wouldn't, you would look back and say, that wasn't the right choice for me. And I'm not happy about that. You would, you'd be reluctant to make that choice, you know? I think. Yeah, and the other things that come along with it, too. I mean, you know, you have what uh, appears to me, for, you know, and I've, I've met her a few times, and I'm friendly with her. You have what appears to be a great marriage. Um, oh, yeah. There's a I lot of things where it's like why? you don't know which, you know, just because you chose to do this thing and you get these benefits from it, which things you missed out on, you know, oh, that are exactly. part of life. So, yeah. yeah and, it's and, almost like a, it's a FOMO question, kind of like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. And, you know, you can't live with with any kind of FOMO at all. (laughs) And it's all butterfly effect, too, because, you know, I have a friend who I've known for for many years who was the guitar player in Zach De La Roca's band prior to Rage Against the Machine. And I think he spent, you know, without speaking for him, I think he spent a few years feeling like, you know, I missed the boat. You know, I missed my shot. I should be the guitar player in Rage Against the Machine. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but then that's a different band. And that's a whole different yeah. set of circumstances. And sure, yeah. maybe it would have worked out the same way. Or maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe it wouldn't have gone yeah. anywhere. You know, there's yeah. all those what ifs. Yeah, if you can ponder them in the fun way, <laughs> but to ponder them bitterly, it's like it, it gets yeah. down to, I think, as you pointed out, how you define success and happiness for yourself. And if that's exactly. just attached to, I mean, my gosh, look at how many records and how many millions of dollars Vanilla Ice 
was responsible for for a year of his life and then look at the bitterness and brokenness and unhappiness that resulted afterwards you know so to just pin it on well would you you'd be richer and more famous like yeah that's not happiness that's not life yeah you you gotta say uh, life's life's something bigger than that you know yes you gotta think that way absolutely um it's fun to ponder that you know you know it's fun to fantasize you know yeah i would have seen the world and made a lot of money and my neck would have been really strong you know (laughs) (laughs) or broken (laughs) you know because yeah uh, something i saw uh, james hetfield point out in an interview once is that of that three out of four lead singers in the big four have had neck surgery (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, that that's a lot. Yeah. You know? yeah breaking your body doing that many shows for that many I think years jason had trouble with jason neck, had neck problems he? too yeah, i yeah. think maybe yeah. back problems also james had back problems yeah, yeah. i mean it's we th- this style of music is still new yeah. enough yeah that we don't know what that looks like on your body at you know 65 yeah. 70 we, nobody's gotten there yet exactly so. <laughs> i mean i have i have neck and back problems too but luckily no surgery areas yeah. but you know so it's yeah. part of it. putting, Age. Our, putting our whole se- our whole selves into this stuff but that's exactly that's you know that has its ups and downs too yeah um i wanted to ask you why i've got you before we wrap up i think an important lesson to learn from you and john in particular and from armored saint in general you know i have known so many people and i was just having this conversation a few days ago you know you you start out in a band you're a teenager it's all for one, one for all. You're ready to just conquer the world. You'll eat top ramen. You'll sleep on floors. You'll, you know, make $5 a day, whatever it takes. And then eventually every sane person hits that <laughs> point. It's usually in their mid to late 20s, maybe their early 30s, where they where they get married or they have a mortgage. or They just they want some other things out of life. And it doesn't mean that music's any less important to them. Correct. But they get to this this stage where they're like, okay, um, the band has come before everything. The band is number one. All else is sacrifice for the band. Now I either need to give that up entirely and figure out who I am without it and do this other stuff. Or how do I make it through the other side where I can have these other things in my life, but still have the band. And I bring this up because, you know, you see a lot of people in that position kind of throw it all away and just like, okay, that, that part of my life's done. I'm closing the door now i'm a firefighter now you know whatever it is that they do in life and then some of those people like you see kind of come back that's where you get these reunion tours and these reunion records and these armored saint i think has somehow one of the few bands that's figured out okay we know how to have other things in our lives without having to you know euthanize the band to have them (laughs) right like um yeah and, not, and of course, you know, if you had the blueprint, I'm sure you'd be selling it for millions of dollars. But do you have any kind of insights or any kind of advice to impart to say, you know, the lead guitar player in a mid-level metal band who just turned 30 and got married and bought a house and is thinking yeah. of giving it up? Uh, how, do you, I mean, how do you compartmentalize and make it all work? That's a, that's a tough one because, like you said, there's no blueprints, no one-size-fits-all thing um it really depends on a lot of factors um i can only 
speculate and sort of have an opinion based on our experience and mine personally. And John would tell you maybe the same thing. He has a similar experience, I guess, although we both have had a few time periods where we took different paths. But um, I think part of it was that we did that. We did that for 10 years. We, we did the all for one, you know, it's blood, sweat and tears all the way to the end. We did that for the first 10 years. And then we had this period where we had some heartache and lost our friend to leukemia and we regrouped and then made symbol. And then John, then it was, we were still frustrated at that point. And then it was like a perfect storm. And then John left for anthrax and we were dormant for like 10, 10 or so years. And I think maybe that dormant period is when things, I think maybe individually, especially for myself, started to come to light. Mm -hmm. um, I had just gotten married and I was in my early thirties. So you're pretty accurate about, <laughs> you know, when yeah. that kind of starts to yeah. happen, you start to wonder, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's more to life than this, you know, this, uh, you know, knocking against the wall all the mm -hmm. time. Um, and so I started a new life with my wife, uh, right at that time in 92 when John left. And so, um, I think that dormant period was a time of us rediscovering a lot of things about ourselves, me, me included. Um, I joined Fate's Warning in 96 during mm -hmm. that time, so I've been involved with them ever since. But it, when it comes to Armored Saint in particular, when we, when we decided to come back and make music again, um, it was in 99 or 2000, and we released a record, and it was during some downtime that John had with Anthrax. But we, so it wasn't like we were really reforming. We just did this as a as a side project, and we told each other flat out, "Look, the days of like all for nothing till the end of the world, we're gonna make it. Those days are done. We tried it, it didn't happen. Let it go. The only reason we're gonna do this or do this opportunity is because we have an opportunity to do it with Metal Blade, and because we." love working together and making music together mm -hmm. and you know that there's a certain amount of people around the world that it means so much to that it's going to well, be yeah. you know you're not just it's not just into the void yeah I'm even sure if it's we not realize that even yeah we didn't realize it at that time mm. how much how big that was and that was a pretty eye-opening thing a few years later but we were like let's just do it because we can and because we love music no expectations really just for fun you know mm -hmm. um and so i think at that time you when you do that handshake deal you gotta tell everybody look you know that means like we're not gonna like the band isn't gonna support you financially right 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 <laughs> so if you're if you're on board just know that uh whatever comes financially that's all gravy on top mm -hmm. of whatever else whatever you got to do in your personal life to get through it me personally I've had a very lucky situation. I did work during the 90s, uh, various day jobs. My wife and I were just starting out. She didn't start out as president, mind you. She worked her way up through the company for 30 <laughs> years. Mm -hmm. She's been there for 30 years. It's crazy. That is crazy. So she started out like as a worker bee kind of at the, on the at Metal Blade. And over the years, she's worked her way up. But we were a, we were hardworking couple together in the beginning. We still are, you know. But um, 
I was working day jobs. I was doing whatever I had to do. And so was she. And we just, you get through it, you know, but I've been lucky enough to be involved with a lot of different bands. I'm not just in one band anymore. I'm in yeah. like three or four bands. Well, and that idea of side projects, I think went out the window, you know, maybe we can all thank Maynard Keenan, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the perception, even with fans, people recognize like you can dedicate a whole other part of yourself yeah. to a whole other band and it's and it's fine and i also think that's helped people in bands because they're used to being like well what are you doing you can't be over there with those guys and now yeah. i think people are much more supportive of yeah oh, we get a we get a happier healthier joey if if, we, if he gets to go do yeah. these other things you know yeah and it and it facilitates that life you know it facilitates yeah. you to and have it makes something to... like armored saint that much more pure because you're not yeah. depending on it to feed you right and it's not your only creative outlet so you're not trying to shove 37 ideas that maybe don't fit an armored saint yeah because you have somewhere else to park them so it, you can make yeah. a saint record sound like a saint record you know yeah exactly and and it it uh it just keeps it um i think fans appreciate that and we're, we're not on um we're not on that we're not in that uh, mo that monster cycle of mm. you know you're on a label you make a record you go on tour you come off tour you make another record you mm -hmm. go right back out do it again and you just this endless cycle of churning it all out you know we're we have the luxury of working with metal blade who allows us to work pretty much whenever we want to yeah uh, because of this kind of uh style of business we decided to move in and so we get to put out music on our own terms and we get to keep it authentic because of that and it really comes from the heart we don't make music unless we feel like we really have anything to say. So it's that's why our records are like five, six years apart from each other. Um, it also but, makes it special, you know, and when you guys come to town, people know, hey, I, they're not going to be back here in three months, so I better go yeah. to this show. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. They're, they're not coming through town on some yeah. package or supporting. Some, yeah, this is the show. I better go. Yeah, so I mean, like getting getting back to the like how, what I would tell someone, it's a hard thing for me to say to someone like, you know, well, for one thing, don't quit your day job. <laughs> I might actually, I might actually suggest that because yes. a manager told me that when I was 19 and 20 years old mm. and I didn't believe him. I said, hell with that. And I quit my job, Yeah. but I kind of wish I didn't. I would be, I would have been better off in my twenties had I not done that, but whatever you live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I would say like, you know, it depends how much music and playing really means to you. Are you are you doing it only to become financially successful? Is that the only reason? Then I would say that might be the wrong reason you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have a balance in your life and you want to be a musician and you want to earn some income from it, that's cool. But uh, remember that uh, there will be a you know there will be a balancing act between you know, times in your life. And I'm not sure what the golden bullet is for that. But if you're willing to have ups and downs and rely on your support systems at home, but also be ready to kick in big time when you're needed to do it, mm -hmm. then you will find a way to manage it somehow. Yeah, you know, and we're, we live in the, the gig economy and the side hustle. And I think there's a big lesson for all of that uh, for those of yeah. us in the music business. Uh, not just not to put all your eggs in one basket and it doesn't mean you don't love the thing and you're not yeah. pushing for the thing and putting everything into it, but yeah, have, have other stuff. Cause I think it's ultimately better 
for each thing to have a couple other things because you're not yeah. making decisions that are always just out of need, but that are more yeah. out of want, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, some, I mean, maybe, I mean, some people, maybe they're just so obsessed with being a musician and they'll do whatever it takes. I mean, my blessings go to you, you know, I mean, that's, how can you tell someone not to follow their bliss? I would never do that. Yeah. I always say, follow your bliss, do what makes you happy. You know, um, I don't have, <laughs> yeah, I think there's just the, there's the middle road though, right. Of, of, uh, some people think that they either have to make it on this massive scale or they can't do it at all. And it's like, yeah, but there's this third path that isn't really presented it's not as glamorous, right? But that yeah. if more people were aware of when they were 19 or 20, like, yeah. hey, there's a way that you can still have this and still do it and it'll still mean something to people. Yeah. It's, maybe it doesn't make you a multimillionaire, but it doesn't mean you have to go flip burgers. There's like a way, you know, there's a way in between. And Exactly. Yeah, I think I saw this interview with Duff McKagan once that I always think about where he was saying that, you know, the problem is that managers – you know, the manager that says, um, okay, you guys, I got, I got a top 20 single. Now you have a gold record. You're doing 5,000 seat theaters. This might be as good as it gets. So let's <laughs> invest and let's figure this out and let's, uh, you know, build up your other hobbies and side interests. Those managers get fired <laughs> because what the <laughs> band wants to hear is got a top 20 single. We're going to number one. Right. Got a gold record, we're going platinum. You know, 5,000 right. seaters, we're going to arenas. And it's not to say that you shouldn't aspire towards those things. Yeah. But the whole thing of, you know, managing expectations is, should be part of the management gig. And, yeah, you would think so. Because then you would have longevity and you would have yeah. a further career to earn your 15%, you would think. You would think. <laughs> yeah. A, a, ba a, a band that can become a brand that can... You know, that are, you know, I think bands like Armored Saint were a little more prepared as much as anyone could be for like this pandemic situation where, well, you know, you'd already, you know, thank God when touring yeah. went away, you weren't like, uh oh, I can't eat now yeah. <laughs> because you'd already figured out a life for yourself that didn't depend yeah. on being on the road nine months out of the year. So, yeah, I, I say that all the time. We are one of the lucky ones. Um, and we, we just, we're lucky that we're, you know, we're releasing new music. I mean, that, yeah. that, and we're not relying on it as our sole source of income. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we're, we're super lucky uh, to be in this position. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, we're, that's not to say that we're going crazy because we, we want to go on the road. We want to play just like every of other course. band. Yeah. Don't merch. We want to, we want to get out there. We want to, we're dying to get out there like everyone. Um, but, we did skate by so far. Um, hopefully we'll continue to skate by, um, <laughs> you know, and not get hit and not, and not completely implode, you know? <laughs> well, the, well, the buzz around punching the sky is, is fantastic. Um, I know I, I love it as a fan. People are, Thank you. It, it's, it's being very well received in the circles that seem to, uh, that seem to matter. You know, I made the same joke to John, but I said, you know, you've, You've got the uh, forty-something metal nerd crowd pleased <laughs> for whatever There's that's worth. That. That's, <laughs> we that's great. all of us, all of us seem to be psyched. So that's great. Uh, no, it's been it's been like uh, 
it's been really overwhelming um, and really heartening. Because when you make records, you really have no idea what people are going to think or sure. what anyone's going to, you know, what the reaction's going to be. You really don't. I mean, you hope that people like it, but part of part of John and my um, our mo is that we kind of do this for ourselves first, and so we don't put a whole lot of expectations outside of us. But it's not to say that we don't have parts of our, you know, insecurities and our own little vanities and our own little. We have them. We're human. You you want to connect with people um, through music, and that's what we enjoy doing. So it's been really, really nice to see the reaction right now. Um, the fans have just been, just been amazing. It's just beyond me. I, I can't even, I can't thank anybody enough. It's just crazy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, your singer has one of, I don't know, top five voices in metal. I mean, just one <laughs> of the greatest, most versatile. And the fact that uh, he's insane. Yeah, the fact that he's still got it, that he's somehow taking care of it, that it's, you know, yep. that he can do what he does. Uh, when you, when a lot of singers, even with that capacity and that range, they burn out a lot quicker, you know? So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, he, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's, uh, he really shines on this. He's, he's been shining on every record in the last 15 years, but he, this one, it's really bright. And, uh, and I, and I tell people that, you know, he works hard at this. And I, I don't know if he says this enough about himself, but he really takes it serious. And he's been really crazy about his rituals with taking care of his voice when he's on tour and when he's on off tour and is when, he, when he's recording. Um, and he really treats his voice with respect. And so the results are just, you hear him. This is, this is the result of that. You know, he's, he's, creeping up on the big six O and it's like, I mean, he's, he, he's in like getting into Ronnie James, Ronnie James Dio territory here, like, like from another, another world. And so, but I want people to know that he works hard at this. It's not, um, it's, he takes it seriously and he does have respect for his voice. And it shows that he doesn't take it, it for granted. Does. I mean, yeah. I, I often think about, you know, when you hear something like welcome to the jungle and that scream at the beginning, or even, you know, and, and he's a good friend of mine, uh, Matt from Avenged Sevenfold, that scream at the beginning of Backcountry, And I always, I always hear that now as an adult, as we get older thinking like, man, when you were doing that <laughs> in the studio, of course you were taking for granted that, you know, you weren't yeah. thinking about being able to do that when you're 60, <laughs> uh, you know, so exactly yeah, more power to him that he's what did i get myself into i mean i gotta do this in 40 years from now yeah, every night <laughs> i'm not doing i'm not doing that again we're not playing that song yeah, we're exactly. taking it out of the set <laughs> yeah to, you know tom at the beginning of angel of death that's another you know there's yeah some of those oh, yeah like, oh yeah yeah, yeah we, of course you weren't thinking about that <laughs> no <laughs> Um, and then those are some of the most iconic moments for all the signature moments for those bands. So I know. people are going to show up wanting to hear it. I know. Um, well, Joey, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to do this. Uh, you thank know, you. A wishlist guest you. when I came up with the whole concept. You know, of course, I had to have Joey from Armored Saint come on Speak and Destroy. So perfect oh, cool. timing with the record and the movie and all that stuff. So Perfect. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be here. And it was a great conversation, uh, as you said earlier. Um, uh, conversation rather than an interview and I always appreciate that this is it's a great talk uh, um, I, I appreciate you doing this